As we say in Belmont, Maine, well, uh, good morning, friends. Good to be with everybody this morning uh, as we look into God's Word. We're kind of picking up in a uh, what might seem to be an unusual spot, but it is actually the chronological, geographical um, flow of Jesus' ministry. Uh, so we pick up in John chapter 11, verse 55, this morning. Um, It says this, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where he was, he should be reported 
uh, he should report it, uh, that they might arrest him. I mean, they had a plan. They had the plan to arrest Jesus. They had the plan to crucify Jesus. And if you recall, I mean, Jesus, not that long ago, within the last few days of this happening, uh, actually said to his disciples, we're going to go to Jerusalem. There, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be killed. He gave them those words of warning, those words of insight. Now, out of that, there's going to be some great promises that he is going to give to us. But uh, we are at this point now where we're entering into really the final week of Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, And so our teaching from now up through Easter uh, will be around that motif, will be out of those sections of Scripture, uh, taking us uh, to that point. Uh, And at that point, I think, what will it have been? Perhaps a year of looking at the life of Christ. So we're going to be spending a lot of time, especially in the book of John, uh, and there will be some of the other uh, synoptic gospels to look at, but a lot will be coming out of John. And uh, this is where I'm going to do a lot of my teaching when I'm in Sudan, is out of the book of John. it's a heavy, heavy schedule. We just kind of finalized the schedule yesterday and uh, heavy teaching schedule, heavy meeting schedule. Uh, uh, but I'm I'm up for it, I think, and uh, uh, excited about it. Uh, but I'm going to be teaching out of these aspects of Jesus' ministry, a life and ministry during that time there. Now, just w- want to highlight it says when it's time for the Jewish Passover, I mean, this is what we're approaching. Passover and Easter come at about the same time of the year. In fact, they do come at the same time of year. Every year, um, Easter is placed in the same week as Jewish Passover um, because that's when things happen. Jesus was going to celebrate Passover and... Uh, this is when he was crucified, was was uh, uh, at the Passover time. And so Easter and Jewish Passover come uh, every time of the year. Now, it says they went up uh, to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing. Now, here's a question. Did Jesus need to go uh, for this ceremonial cleansing? Uh, he may have gone for the ceremony. But Jesus certainly did not need to have the the cleansing because he had never sinned. Uh, not once had he sinned. So it wasn't necessary that he be, be there for the ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. This is like perhaps the week before, uh, the week of, leading up to, uh, in fact, it will be the week because we will be reading about his triumphant entry uh, into Jerusalem uh, as we continue on, perhaps even this morning. It says they kept looking for Jesus. I mean, they were expecting him to be there. They fully thought that Jesus would arrive uh, and would be among them. In fact, they were expecting that he would show up and that what he would do would be to establish Uh, Jewish uh, rights, Jewish freedom from uh, Roman rule, 
this was the expectation that so many of the people had. Uh, so they're looking for him. Uh, and yet, uh, he, when he doesn't show up immediately, when he's not the first one to the party, they wonder, will, will he even come? And yet, we note what it says in that final verse of this chapter. But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so they might arrest him. That was the plan uh, with the Pharisees. Now, we go from this chapter right into chapter 12. And it says this, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, this is a little bit later. Uh, this, this is the arrival now coming back into the town. Uh, and it says here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Now, remember, they didn't sit in chairs, and they, they didn't have like the pub-sized tables like what we have in our home, that kind of elevated table uh, on, on those uh, elevated chairs, stools, if you'd call them that. Um, no, they sat on the floor. Uh, they didn't have the types of chairs that we have. They sat on the floor reclining around the table. Uh, and part of the reclining around the table was because of the fact that, that they would spend uh, considerable time. It wasn't, hey, let's sit down, let's eat a meal, and let's get up and go to the living room. No, they might spend hours uh, at the table eating together. And uh, uh, so so they reclined. They were there. They were learning. They were conversing. They were talking about life. They were talking about God. They were talking about the scriptures. They were talking about uh, all of these things. Uh, and... That's what I hope that we'll do uh, as we have at our home the Friday table tonight. It's Friday tonight, 6 o'clock. Uh, and it's not a hard start, not a hard end time. Uh, bring a little food. I don't care if it's a small bag of chips. I won't eat any. But uh, something to share. Uh, we'll put it on the island in our in our home. Uh, and uh, we'll have the table. We will not be uh, reclining on the floor. Don't worry. Um, but we will we will be together to to feast, to learn, to grow, to talk of Jesus, to talk of the spiritual life, to pray, and uh, all with food as a part of of what we'll be doing. Well, as it goes on, we see that di the dinner is given in Jesus' honor. Friends, our, our Friday table dinners will be given in Jesus' honor as well. Um, that's the plan. We want to honor Christ. Uh, in fact, for me, I'll be honoring Christ uh, with my yarmulke that I'll, I'll begin wearing on Friday nights uh, for these times. Um, I want to honor Jesus. We want to honor Jesus and how we eat. Now, now, someone asked me yesterday about it, and I said, don't be surprised if somebody shows up with a bottle of wine. Um, look, this isn't meant to be like some Christianized uh, thing that we're doing that's that, you know, for the the conservative, what what they think is conservative Christian person. No, this is designed for anybody to sit and to speak of Jesus. And so we we could have people who don't share our views, uh, even about Jesus. But that's okay, because this is where the learning of Jesus will take place. So back into this text. Uh, 
down through uh, a little bit farther. Uh, we'll read, it says, and Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. As you think about what it's saying here, expensive perfume. You ever notice how expensive perfume is? Perfumes and colognes, I, I just it, I still don't get why jewelry and perfume is so expensive. I just don't get it. I mean, I, I don't view either one as daily necessities like food or clothing. Uh, and yet, uh, I mean, you just walk into Kohl's to be an example. They got a whole great big section of perfume. And it, it I, I don't f spend much time in that section other than sometimes to notice the prices. So expensive. And, and when you get into the uh, higher aspects of society, I mean, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a small bottle of perfume. Uh, and Mary had taken this perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair. We've, we've read of this before, but here she is honoring him. What are you willing to pour out for Jesus? What am I willing to pour out for Jesus? Um, would we pour perfume? Would we kneel at his feet? Would we wipe his feet with our hair? Now, for some of us, like me, uh, that might be a, kind of a funny thing. I'd have to be rubbing my head on his feet because I don't have much hair. Or use my beard, maybe. But but just to think about how she had to bow uh, in, in humility to wipe his feet. And again, the house filled the fragrance of the perfume. Now, now, if I can spiritualize this for just a moment, I mean, as we pour out ourselves, as we humble ourselves, as we uh, express to, to Christ our worship, the house can be filled with the fragrance of our worship. It says, uh, you know, filled with the fragrance of perfume. But what about this Sunday, if if we're in our house or houses of worship, uh, and God's people worship exuberantly with all their hearts, think of the fragrance, think of the joy that would fill the room. May it be so. It doesn't have to be the fragrance of perfume. I mean, some places, and you see those labels, don't wear perfume in the airplane because you might make somebody else sick because they might have allergies or something. Or, you know, uh, uh, and sometimes you'll be in an airport and you'll smell, especially because they sell the stuff in airports, uh, all this perfume, all this fragrance that sometimes can be so strong it can almost be nauseating. But what if the fragrance in our uh, worship service? was so rich and so full, a fragrance of worship, that it just permeated everywhere. That needs to be our prayer. I've got my associate here with me this morning, Bucky. Um, you can notice my other associate on the chair behind me, uh, Bailey. Um, so you hear a little bit of the noises here and see their lovely features with our lovely pets. But yes, pouring it out. Now, here's what happens, though. Notice what comes back into the uh, 
the, the storyline in verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Always about the money. Missing the point of the worship of the king of kings. Sometimes we make it all about the money. Uh, and we're so practical. You know, I, I used to be more practical. I, I am becoming less practical in some senses. I, I was the one that would say, look, and I still am in many ways. I mean, it, uh, over in Africa, we're not going to build any big, you know, elaborate church buildings or anything like that. I mean, and I'm not going to visit elaborate church buildings. In fact, uh, some of the places we're going to be, we will be meeting in the desert uh, under a tree, uh, literally. I mean, that's where we will be. Uh, and, and I'm all for that. Uh, I, I, I find uh, my heart runs to places where... Um, they're not all wrapped up in some of the things that we as Americans get wrapped up in. I know we live in America. I know we minister in America. Um, and uh, and so some people, we have to be practical here, they would say. We, we need to build the nicest facility so people will come. Okay, so let me give you two sides on this. Uh, one side is keep it simple, keep it cheap. Use the money for other things. This is kind of the approach that Judas Iscariot is taking. And yet I have also been in some wonderfully elaborate churches, especially in Europe, um, that are absolutely stunning and cause great deep reflection. The high spires, the high arches, uh, the artwork, the stained glass, telling stories. Uh, and there's something about those high spires, those high arched ceilings, that also can impact worship. When I think of what it what it means for the king, uh, I I just want to suggest to you that you know always being only practical as Judas Iscariot was being uh, here in this narrative uh, isn't the way we ought to think all the time. Yes, I think we need to be frugal. Yes, I think we need to be smart as as a church of veracity. We have to be extremely smart. Um, should should always be extremely smart, but especially now as, as things are tight. Um, but yet, what are we willing to give in the worship of our God? You know, Judas is looking saying, this is, this is a very expensive perfume. It is a perfume, as we read in verse 5, perhaps worth a year's wages. That type of expense, that type of extravagance. But what type of expense, what type of extravagance would you go to to worship Jesus, as did Mary? I, I think of some people in our church that from time to time bring the the strips of cloth and wave them or, or the, the, um, the scarves or things that sometimes people wave before the Lord. And, and I just want to say to you, those of you that do that, keep doing it. To people who go, well, it distracts my worship, I would just ask you, how extravagant would you be in your worship? Are you so wrapped up in what everybody else is doing, like Judas was wrapped up in what Mary was doing, that you miss the heart of worship yourself? Don't miss the heart of worship. What would you pour out for your king, the Lord Jesus, in your worship? Now, we continue on in verse 6. It says, he did not say this because he cared about the poor. And, and sometimes, yes, look at this. 
look at the mixed motives. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. I mean, they had a money bag. Uh, I am uh, beginning to create a money bag, if you will, uh, for some of this international travel that is coming up. And uh, we're making plans for, for regular trips to South Sudan as we seek to establish a school there. Um, at least that is a thought. Some type of an educative uh, system that we want to deliver to these folks that need it so desperately. Um, here's Judas helping himself to what was put into it. I don't know if that's ever an issue with you. Um, you know, what, what, what would you do with the money bag if you were the keeper? Now, I also want to just talk about motives for a moment. His motive wasn't that he cared about the poor. He was more concerned about, you know, that 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 perfume could have been simply been put in the money bag. What would he have done? He may have sold it himself uh, and uh, pocketed the money. Of course, in the end, we know that none of this will benefit Judas because he will end up taking his life out of remorse, out of guilt for what he will do as we will see in this week as it unfolds, uh, as he would betray Jesus as he did. But we look at Jesus' response in verse 7. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus again dropping the clue that uh, he will be off the scene. And I want to take you to a verse, uh, as, as he has said this, I want to take you to a verse that, that Jesus would share with his disciples. Now, I, I just I just want to highlight a few things before I take you over to uh, John 14. Um, a little out of sequence, but it, it fits what I want to talk about here. Um, often they would they would place these spices uh, on on the body, you know, kind of embalming, uh, putting the spices, putting the perfumes, perhaps trying to help with some of the stench that would come uh, as a body would decay. Uh, but they had all kinds of salves and, and things that they would put on a body, then wrap the bodies, and then bury the bodies. Remember how Judas, uh, not Judas, how Lazarus came out of the tomb uh, back in John chapter 11. He came out and they had to unwrap him because his body was wrapped. That's how Jesus would be buried. And he's saying this this was intended for that reason. But he also knew that uh, they would not have the time to to properly prepare the body because he will be uh, crucified on the day that would be the beginning of Shabbat, Sabbath. It would be the uh, Passover Shabbat. Um, and he needed to be buried by, by sundown that night so that they would not... Uh, violate, that's the word I'm looking for, will not violate the Sabbath. Now, I want to take you to something. Jesus says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Let, let me just talk about one more thing in that verse before I take you to this other passage. Uh, sometimes in, in among churches and among Christians, we think, well, um, you know, we, we get, you get tired of, of helping and I, this, I don't want this to sound offensive to anybody, but we get tired of helping the down and out who don't seem like they want to do anything to 
increase or improve their lot in life who are stuck maybe in the same patterns. And, and sometimes Christians will think, well, you know, they need to get their act together. Folks, there, there are some people that have a really difficult time with that. A lot about their nurture growing up, maybe even things about their own physiology and, and things of that nature has such a negative impact on their ability to get their stuff together. And it's very easy for us to go, well, I would help if they would just get their act together. We, we need to understand we will always have among the church those who are, are highly successful and those who uh, you know, have, have done well with money, and we will always have the poor. It's a reality. Uh, and we will be healthy in our Christian uh, mentality, in our Christian living, when we remember that we will always have a, a wide variety of peoples among the church. And if we only in the church have people like us, how sad. How sad when, when, when there's such diversity in our world and so many people to whom we could minister. I ministered to somebody the other day that said, well, your church isn't going to get all political if I attend, is it? And your church isn't going to, you know, just bash gay people if I attend. And your church isn't going to just go, you know, talk about make me vote for Trump and all that. And I went, no. Now, there are churches that do that. Uh, I, I think they're missing the mark. Personally, I think they're missing the mark. Um we're going to keep it about Jesus. Jesus is the one that will change your life. Donald Trump isn't going to change your life. Joe Biden isn't going to change your life. Not like Jesus is going to change your life. They're not going to impact your eternity like Jesus is going to impact your eternity. And I, I just had to say, no, that's, that's not what we're about. We're about Jesus. And, uh, uh, and I told the person, I said, when the Bible speaks on issue, we say what the Bible says. And I said, so, you know, if it's dealing with sexuality, we we deal with it as the Bible says. And, uh, you know, but we're not going after people, as some churches may be doing. What we need to be going after are people's souls and praying for their salvation, praying for repentance, praying for spiritual awakening. That's what we need to be praying for. Now, let me get you over to this verse in John chapter 14 and verse 12. I want you to see this verse. Um, I'll pick up at verse 10, and we will talk about it. It says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living me in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. If anyone has faith in me, uh, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, now my focus isn't on those that verses 13 and 14. That isn't what I want to focus on. Now, I mean, they do cause struggle because we say, well, I've prayed, but what's going on here? Why am I not seeing the answer? Well, are we aligning our, our, our hearts with God's heart? Are we aligning our will with God's will? Are we aligning our lives with God's life? Um, those are some things we have to answer as we get to verses 13 and 14. But I want to look at verse 12. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. 
Uh, we are called to do the works that Jesus does. We are called uh, to, to follow after him. We are called to make what we do the very things he would do. The Father lives in us. The Son lives in us. The Spirit lives in us. We, we are to be like Jesus and learn to speak the words the Father gives us. We are to be like Jesus and do the works that the Father gives us to do. Uh, and so verse 12 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, there's a clue in here. As long as they had Jesus with them, uh, they were not going to be doing the even greater things. Uh, and and this, this is a lesson in uh, disciple-making multiplication uh, that Sometimes uh, we, we need to move on. We need to get out of the same small group that we've been in forever and get into a different group, form a new group to multiply things. Or we need to stop leaning on uh, the one person, the pastor, uh, for, for so many different things and learn to, to do some of these things on our own or turn to other people. But really what I want to talk about is, is the fact that uh, Jesus makes this statement that you will do even greater things. Friends, the days are coming when you are being called upon to do even greater things. Uh, of necessity, you will do greater things. You will do more ministry to one another. Uh, you, will, you will lead more small groups. Uh, you, Some of you maybe will have opportunity to teach classes, to give sermons, uh, to organize things, to establish the care ministries and things of that nature, you are being called to be, be doing greater things. You are being called. Our church is being called. The ministry uh, to which we are called is being called to do greater things. It is time for greater things to happen. Now, Jesus also puts in this sentence, this little caveat, you'll do greater things because I am going to the Father. He knew he had to get out of the scene for greater things to happen. Because if he was still walking the earth, they were going to follow, walk around following him. But when he left the earth, as he would ascend to the Father in Acts chapter 1, they now would be the ones responsible physically to do the work. Lesson there. Just think about the lesson that he has given and what this means to disciple-making multiplication that if we keep placing ourselves in the place where people are always leaning on us, they will not grow as much as they need to grow. Think about that. Take it to heart. Ask God, what are the greater works that he has for you to do? Maybe it's in our local church. Uh, maybe it's more broadly. Uh, but what's what's he calling you to do? And will you do it? Well, I need to stop there. It's it's time to, to end this time together this morning. So, Lord, help us to, to realize what it is that you want us to do and to do it, that we would do even greater things than what you have done because you have challenged us, because you have charged us, because you've given us the Holy Spirit. Help us to live for you. And, Lord, we pray again today for those in Turkey and Syria, with the loss of over 21,000 lives, we pray for those hurting, wounded hearts that whose lives literally were rocked in an instant through the earthquake and, and the aftershocks that took place. 
Lord, would you send aid to those who are alive? Would you send counsel to those who grieve? Would you send hope in the name of Jesus? Lord, hear our prayer. Have a great day, everyone. We will see you on Sunday if you're able to uh, listen in. See you then.